Welcome to the Untold Tales Audio Anthologies. Written by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson and narrated by Melissa Del Toro Schaffner. Applied Science Dylan loved school as much as he hated it. As he opened his locker to get his books for his first couple classes, he thought to himself that it just wasn't fair. He loved high school, because while everyone had told him that his freshman year would be difficult, everything had come together. He loved all his courses and his teachers, and he was pulling straight A's despite being in honors classes in all subjects. Moreover, Mr. Campbell, his science teacher, had turned out to be an incredible mentor. He had worked with the vice principal and designed an accelerated curriculum that might allow him to graduate at the end of his sophomore year, two full years early. Mr. Campbell also said that if he won the science fair competition at the district and state levels, he could qualify for a full scholarship to college. After being bored in middle school, all this was a dream come true for Dylan. The only thing he hated about high school was, Hey, Dildo! Mark McFarland, captain of the school baseball team, athlete, jock, and all-star bully. Dylan turned to see Mark approaching him with his two constant companions, Steve and Jesse. All three sported short crew cuts, and they all wore the same wide, malicious grins. So, how's my favorite sex toy? shouted Mark, as his two sidekicks laughed loudly. Dylan started to correct Mark to explain that his name was Dylan, not Dildo, but he stopped himself. That was what Mark was trying to achieve. If Dylan replied in any way, especially negatively, he would become the primary focus of the terrifying trio, and that was something he desperately wanted to avoid. Keeping his head low to avoid eye contact, he just managed to close his locker before Mark shoved him from behind. Dylan caught himself before hitting his face against the wall of lockers, but his books all fell to the floor. Heads turned, and Mark now had an audience. Hey, you're pretty clumsy, aren't you, dickwad? Once more, Dylan did not respond. Steadying himself with one arm on the wall, he knelt to pick up his books, but was shoved again, and found himself on his hands and knees. Laughing, Mark added, <laughs> Sorry, Dildo. I don't have time for a blowjob right now, but thanks for asking. This drew snickers from people nearby. A couple others stopped to watch the altercation, but Dylan's lack of response wasn't sufficiently rewarding to Mark, who frowned and said, Come on, guys. Leave the turd alone. We don't want him to make us late for first period. As Mark and his two stooges disappeared down the hallway, Bobby, a friend Dylan had known since elementary school, stooped down and put his hand on Dylan's shoulder. Are you okay, Dee? He asked. Dylan nodded, slowly retrieving his books. As he stood, he glanced down the hall and glared angrily at Mark's back as he disappeared into the crowd. It wouldn't be so bad, muttered Dylan, except that it's every damn day. Yeah, said Bobby sadly. I know what you mean. Then Bobby's eyes grew wide with terror. 
Oh my god, I forgot to give Mark his history paper from third period. I'm sorry, Dee. I gotta go. Then, standing hurriedly, Bobby ran down the hall to catch up with their nemesis. As Dylan slowly shuffled down the hall, a silent stream of epithets ran through his mind. Show off, sadist, scumbag, brute, bully, braggart, retard, reprobate, recalcitrant, dolt, degenerate, dastard, douchebag. Then Dylan found himself chuckling softly to himself. Mark wouldn't even understand half those insults. Hell, thought Dylan, Mark can barely read, and he surely wouldn't recognize or appreciate the creative alliteration Dylan could provide. Only reason that Mark hadn't long since flunked out of school was that his dad was a local politician who chaired the committee that appointed members of the school board. That, and the fact that Mark bullied other kids to do his homework for him. At the very beginning of the year, Mark had pressured Dylan into writing a paper for him, but Dylan had written a paper that had guaranteed that he got an F. Unfortunately, it had also gotten him a beating that almost sent him to the doctor. Mark had promised Dylan more serious punishment if he told anyone. So Dylan had simply told his parents he had slipped and taken a tumble down the stairs at school. On the positive side, Mark had never again asked Dylan to help with homework. Instead, poor Bobby had been corralled into doing all of Mark's assignments. Bobby had never been beaten, but that was only because Mark used Dylan as an example of what would happen if Bobby refused. Mark also pressured other kids for money. He always picked the smallest kids to bully. Dylan had stopped carrying money. He didn't even carry a wallet, since Mark had flushed his school ID down the toilet in the boys' room. No. Mark reserved his public display of sadism for Dylan. Before school, between classes, the only time Dylan was safe was going home from school. That's when Mark had baseball practice with the rest of the team. The bell rang and people disappeared into the respective classrooms. Dylan, however, sauntered down the rapidly emptying hallway toward Mr. Campbell's room. First period was homeroom and the science lab would be empty. As he entered the lab, the bespectacled and balding teacher looked up and smiled. Mr. Campbell had always wanted to be a scientist and had apparently been a very gifted student. However, he'd taken a temporary job teaching after he'd earned his bachelor degree and had fallen in love with a career along the way. He'd never gone on to graduate school, but he loved his work in school enough that he never missed his chance to work in research. Hey, he said, aren't you supposed to be in class? Dylan shook his head. Nah, Mrs. Hawkins lets me skip homeroom so I can go to the library to look up things on the special library terminal that they have there. It can access the Library of Congress and the World Digital Library Archives. The librarian has been teaching me SQL, so I can search their Oracle databases. Taking a report folder from his stack of books and papers, Dylan handed it to Mr. Campbell. Here's a final report for my science project, with the changes that you recommended. Taking it, Mr. Campbell smiled and said, Excellent. I'll make copies of this. There are a couple of pharmaceutical companies that I told about your project, and one of them publishes an annual summary of national science project winners. They said that they might want to include yours in this year's edition. Dylan grinned, and he felt his face grow warm. But I don't understand, he said. 
my science project failed. I was hoping to find a way to cure allergies or a way to mitigate them, but I couldn't. In fact, I managed to find a way to make them even worse. How does that make my project special? Mr. Campbell nodded patiently, saying, That's because science isn't always about achieving a big win. Sometimes science is learning about what doesn't work and understanding why. Remember how many times Thomas Edison had to use different materials before he found one that was just right to use as a filament for a light bulb? They say that he literally had to experiment with thousands of different substances before finding one that worked. In your case, you tested more than 100 different substances. You even quantified the reaction of your hairless mice to those substances using in vitro immunoglobulin antibody tests, which is impressive all by itself. And that was a lot of work. You also found several quite unexpected immunological responses. <sighs> yeah, I made the allergic reactions for the mice so severe that a couple of them died. But that's the whole point. You found a way to affect the immune system in ways that no one has known about before. You didn't find a cure, but you discovered something new anyway. That's what science is about, learning new things. It may not be earth-shattering, and it may not be glamorous, but sometimes that's how science works. Dylan still wasn't sure what was so special about his work, but he trusted Mr. Campbell. Oh, don't forget to have your science project set up before first period tomorrow. Tables will be set up in the gymnasium for the science fair, but the doors will be locked at 8 a.m. sharp. Judging will begin at 9 and continue until after lunch. The gym will remain locked until school is over at 3 o'clock. Only then will people be allowed to enter and see all the projects and their placement in the school competition. Dylan closed his eyes and nodded emphatically. I know, I know. I'll be there on time. Then he turned to leave, but paused and said, Thanks, Mr. Campbell. Carrying his books, he hurried to the library. Dylan made it home without incident. Mark and his buddies were at baseball practice and weren't available to harass him. Hurrying to the basement, he packed up his project. He filled the first box with his precious glassware, flasks and pipettes, beakers, and condensation coils that he'd used for his antibody tests. In another, bigger box, he carefully placed his terrarium, the large glass box with sawdust on the bottom that contained the hairless mice he had used for his experiments. They were the same type that cosmetic companies used for testing allergies. Before packing them in the box, however, he fed them their food and water. Then he made a final check to be sure he had packed everything that he'd need for his display. Poster board, pictures, reports. Turning off the lights, he headed back upstairs and found his father in his greenhouse. His father had been a biologist at a big farm company before he retired last year. Now he spent most of his time working in his greenhouse, growing exotic orchids. Dylan thought of bringing up the problems he continued to have with Mark, but the last time he had tried, he'd only gotten a lecture about how his father had also been short for his age when he was young. Yup, he had said, I know just what you're going through. I didn't get my growth spurt until my junior year in high school. I was the smallest kid in my entire class, including girls, so I know what you mean. Just be patient, Dylan. You're probably a late bloomer, just like I was. You know, he had said again, I grew 14 inches in 18 months and learned that growing pains are real. 
It's when you grow so fast that your muscles have difficulty keeping up with the bones and you wake up crying every night. Hang in there, Dylan. You'll outgrow it all soon enough. Dylan shook his head. His father listened, but he simply didn't hear what Dylan was trying to say. All he ever got was the same lecture about being patient. Instead of bringing up the problem with Mark, he coughed to get his dad's attention. <coughs> Turning, his father noticed him and he said, Oh, Dylan, sorry, didn't hear you come in. Returning to the rare orchid he was tending, he asked, Is there anything you need, son? Yeah, replied Dylan. I wanted to remind you that I need you to drive me to school tomorrow morning. I have to get all the stuff for my science project set up before classes start. They'll be setting up projects in the gym. Do you need help getting everything set up? No, just drive me to the school and help me get the stuff into the gym. I can set everything up by myself. Dylan was really only worried about getting his stuff past Mark. He and his buddies usually loitered at the school entrance waiting for him and other victims to torment before school began. Dylan just wanted to get his project safely into the gym. Okay, said his dad without looking up. What time do you want to leave? 7 a.m. would be fine. Great, not a problem. Dylan waited to see if his father was open to talking about the project. Unfortunately, he'd never really showed much interest other than helping him purchase the chemistry-related glassware that he'd needed for his antibody tests. After a few moments of silence, Dylan realized that his father was lost in his own work. So he headed back into the house to finish some of his other homework. To Dylan's surprise, there were no problems getting his project into the school the next morning. As he had expected, Mark, Steve, and Jesse were waiting by the school doors, but they were friendly to his dad and smiled benignly at Dylan. After helping him carry in the heavy boxes, his dad left and Dylan set up his posters and equipment in preparation for judging. When he was finished, he stood back and surveyed his display. Turning, he headed off to the exhibit hall to go to his first period class. But as he passed through the entrance, Mark stepped in front of him, blocking his path. My, my, said his tormentor. Look what we've got here. Seems that little Dildo has some fancy project for the science fair. Don't you, Dildo? Looking his nemesis directly in the eyes, Dylan replied, Actually, I do. And I expect to win a first place in the science fair today so I can go on to the competitions at district and state levels. I might even get a scholarship. Oh, isn't that special, said Mark with a malicious grin on his face. Yeah, it is, retorted Dylan. It really is. And it's something a stupid jock like you could never do. So you have the right to feel inferior. Mark's fingers closed into a fist as he took a step toward Dylan, but they were both interrupted by Mr. Campbell, who had approached unseen. Is there a problem here? Mr. Campbell asked. Mark immediately smiled as he took a couple steps backward. No, no, no problem at all, Mr. Campbell, he said. I was just congratulating our budding little genius on his project. An awkward pause followed where no one spoke. It was clear what was going on between Dylan and Mark. Finally... Mr. Campbell broke the tense tableau by looking at his watch and then saying, Well then, Mark, you and your friends had better hurry to class. You wouldn't want to be late and earn a detention. That would interfere with your baseball practice, wouldn't it? 
In any case, Dylan is going to stay here for a bit longer and help the other students set up their projects. Right, Dylan? Mark started to say something, but Steve tugged on Mark's shirt sleeve and whispered in his ear. A grin slowly spread across Mark's face, and he said, Yeah, you're right, Mr. Campbell. I've got places to go and things to do. Then, nodding at Dylan, he added, I'll see you later, squirt. Mr. Campbell didn't have to say anything. He merely patted Dylan on his shoulder and led him back into the gym. Miraculously, Dylan managed to evade Mark for the rest of the day, and when the final bell rang at the end of sixth period, Dylan grabbed his books and ran to the gymnasium, eager to hear the results of the judging. However, as he reached the gym, he found Mr. Campbell waiting for him. The look of dread on his face clearly communicated that something bad had happened. Dylan knew immediately what it must be. He started to dash past his teacher, but Mr. Campbell stopped him and said, Dylan, let me explain. We don't know what happened yet, and we're still investigating it, but after the judging had finished, the gym was locked. Somehow, though, while we were gone, something happened to your project. Tearing free of Mr. Campbell's grip, Dylan ran to the far row of tables where he'd set up his project. However, all that was there was an empty table. His project was gone. Mr. Campbell caught up to him and said, It's over here, Dylan. The kindly old man led him to a spot near the wall of the gym where a large box sat. Behind the box were the battered and stained posters of his display. Peering inside, Dylan's worst fears were confirmed. Little remained of his equipment. All the glassware was broken, and one side of the glass terrarium had been shattered. Only bits of glass, sawdust, and debris remained. All of the mice, of course, were gone. They would have scattered following whatever had happened. Tears welled up in his eyes, and Dylan found it difficult to breathe. Now, no one would even see his project, not even his own parents. Don't worry, said Mr. Campbell. The judges had already completed their work and had assigned the awards. You got a first place and will be going to the district competition next month. I even got a picture of your display on my cell phone for the school paper before the gym was locked up. Again, we don't know who did this or why, but we'll find out. Dylan stared at the remnants of his project. His report was stained, probably from when the water bottle for the mice had broken. Nothing remained except shards of glass, sawdust, and five large rocks. We can't figure out how anyone got in here, continued Mr. Campbell. I personally locked all the doors myself when I left with the judges. Only a few of the faculty have keys. No one else would have access. Dylan stared at the box. He knew who had done it, but there was no way he could prove it. Then he noticed the rocks again. There were five of them, but he had only had two in his terrarium. Then he realized what must have happened. Jerking his head up toward the scoreboard high on the opposite wall of the gym, Dylan studied the five sliding windows above the electronic display. The scoreboard was only used for basketball games, and the lights were off. But it was the windows that interested Dylan. Those windows were only used by people who needed access or repair the scoreboard. However, as Dylan looked up, he saw Mark 
peering out through one of them. Mark smiled and waved and then ducked down, out of sight. It made sense, thought Dylan. The other side of that wall was where all the school's sports equipment was kept. The room was quite tall, since it also stored things for track and field events like pole vaulting, as well as tall ceremonial banners and displays. As the captain of the baseball team, Mark had keys to that room, and Dylan knew that he and his cohorts had used those windows before. Their annual competitions to see how far people could spit across the basketball court was legendary. As the pitcher on the team, Mark could have easily thrown rocks from that window, specifically targeting Dylan's project. While Dylan himself could never have managed it, Mark would have had no difficulty doing so at all. Dylan started to tell Mr. Campbell about his theory, but he once again realized there was no way anyone would ever be able to prove it. Then Dylan realized that he wasn't even sad anymore. A deep warmth had swept over him, miraculously drying his tears. Dylan realized that this is what anger felt like. Staring stoically at the remains of his project, he started planning his revenge. Dylan said nothing to anyone about the incident the rest of the week. People spoke in whispers around him, but only Bobby stopped to express his condolences. Strangely, Mark and his friends seemed to avoid him, though Dylan often saw them watching from a distance. At the end of the day on Friday, a baseball game had been scheduled, and while everyone in school watched the game from the bleachers outside, Dylan crept into the locker room where the two teams had dressed. Carrying a small plastic container, Dylan opened Mark's locker and carefully removed the lid of his plastic box. Using a set of tongs, he took out a small object about the size of a ping-pong ball. It was a small bud of a cactus with spines that were strong and sharp, though they were fine as hairs. He cautiously placed one such bud in Mark's street shoes. Then he proceeded to do the same to Steve's and Jesse's lockers as well. He was slow and methodical, and was very careful not to accidentally prick himself on the tiny pieces of cactus. Then he went outside to watch the rest of the game. The home team won the game, and after the crowds dispersed and went home, Dylan remained, waiting patiently in the stands. As he watched the last of the players leave, Dylan crept back into the locker room and searched the nearby trash bins. Eventually, he found the three pieces of cactus he had planted earlier. He hoped that not too many people had been stung by the chemically treated thorns. Carefully retrieving them, he placed them back into his plastic carrier for later disposal. Then, he snuck out and made his way home. The first phase of his revenge had been successfully completed. Over the weekend, Dylan contacted his friends, Mark's other favorite victims, and made arrangements to meet them before school on Monday. When they arrived, he handed each of them a small plastic squirt gun filled with water and explained his plan to them. All of them liked the idea. Then they waited for Mark, Steve, and Jesse to arrive. Sure enough, as other students started to arrive, the three bullies showed up, trolling for victims. Upon seeing Dylan and his four friends, they all approached, and Mark started his predictable banter. Hey, Dildo, I didn't get to tell you how terribly sorry I am for what happened to your science. 
He got no further, though, because Dylan shot him right in the eyes with his squirt gun. Dylan's four friends laughed, and Mark stepped back in surprise. He sputtered, wiping the liquid from his face, and his face grew angry as he half shouted, Why, you stupid effing worm! I'm gonna pound you into hamburger! Wait, said Dylan, courageously holding up his hand. Before you beat the crap out of me, I think there's something you need to hear. Mark was so surprised at Dylan's audacity that he actually stopped. You see, you really should have learned what my science project was about before you wrecked it. You didn't, though, did you? No, I didn't think so. So let me explain. I was trying to find a way to cure allergies, you know, like allergies to peanuts or shellfish or bees. You see, most people are allergic to something, though most allergies are minor, like hay fever or cats. Unfortunately, some people are very allergic to specific things, and their bodies respond quite strongly to those allergens. Anyway, my science project failed. I tested different allergens and remedies on mice and found some substances that helped a little, and many that didn't affect the allergies at all. But I did manage to find a special compound that had a major effect. When this chemical is applied to an allergen, it greatly enhances the body's immune response. Mark tightened his hand into a fist and wiped his eyes. I don't care, he said, stepping closer. I'm gonna cream you. Oh, but you really do need to care. Listen, there's only a little bit more. You see, sometimes people can be exposed to a substance and only have a minor reaction, like a bee sting that only leaves a tiny welt. But sometimes, when they're stung again, they can manifest a severe allergic reaction as their immune systems generate massive quantities of antibodies. You see, that's what I did to you. Remember on Friday when you found something in your shoes? You got stuck by something sharp? Mark's jaw dropped, and he blinked uncontrollably. That was you? Why, you douchebag! Now I'm gonna put you in the hospital for sure! Stepping back, Dylan said, Oh, that was only the first bee sting. You should know that I had treated those tiny cacti with my special compound, and they've made you allergic to prickly pear cacti, genus Opuntia. You can feel it, can't you? Your heart is racing, and your mouth is dry. Your eyes are stinging like hell, and you can barely see. That's because they've already started to swell shut. Look at your hands. They're shaking so badly that you could barely form a fist. It was true. Mark's eyelids had swollen to the point that he could barely keep them open. His right hand was shaking so badly that he grasped his own wrist with his other hand, but the shaking increased and progressed up his arms. I bet you're finding it quite hard to breathe right now. If I judge your symptoms correctly, you're starting to go into anaphylactic shock. Steve and Jesse started to come to Mark's aid, but Dylan cautioned them to step back. I wouldn't do that if I were you boys. 
you got stung by those cactus buds, then you're as allergic to prickly pears as Mark is. You see, these squirt guns aren't filled with water. They contain diluted prickly pear juice, and just a drop or two can cause a nasty rash or a really frightening case of hives. But if you even get a drop of it in your eyes or your mouth, then you'll end up like Mark. Mark dropped to his knees, still clutching his trembling arm. You've... you've poisoned me! What? Oh, you mean this? said Dylan, turning the squirt gun toward himself and shooting a stream of liquid into his mouth. No! See? It's harmless! In fact, some people use prickly pear juice as a dietary supplement. It's harmless. Except for you and your buddies. For the three of you. It's now the deadliest thing in the world. At Dylan's signal, his four friends started shooting their water pistols at Steve and Jesse. The boys, however, jumped back out of the way, as if streams of acid had been directed at them. That's right. Stay back. Turning back to Mark, Dylan saw that the bully was on his hands and knees, gasping for air. Dylan squatted down and watched Mark. In a few minutes, said Dylan softly, you will be in full anaphylaxis. When that happens, your windpipe will close off completely, and there won't even be time to call an ambulance before your heart races so fast that you die. Pulling a small pen-like device from his pocket, Dylan continued, Only one thing can save you right now, and it's this. It's called an EpiPen. It's a portable syringe filled with a massive dose of epinephrine. It can stop the reaction, though it may take you days to fully recover. Do you want some, Mark? said Dylan, waving the pen in front of him. All you have to do is ask. Mark looked up. His eyes were completely swollen shut now, and he could barely breathe at all. Please, gasped Mark, holding out his hand. But Dylan pulled the pen back and said, Ah, but there's one thing you have to do first. You have to promise not to bother me or any of my friends ever again. Do you agree? Mark nodded and held out his hand as he struggled to suck in another lung full of air. His breathing was so restricted that it sounded like he had swallowed a kazoo. No, you have to say it, Mark. But you'd better hurry. I don't think you have much time. I... I... promise... stammered Mark. Collapsing on all fours, he lowered his head and said once more, Dylan stood and rolled Mark onto his back with a shove of his foot. Then, taking the EpiPen, he stabbed Mark in the thigh, burying it as deeply as the needle would go. Finally, he pushed the plunger all the way in and stood back up. It'll take a few minutes to work, Mark, so you'd best stay still if you want to remain conscious. Turning to Steve and Jesse, Dylan said, That goes for you two as well. If either of you so much looks cross-eyed at any of us, you'd better be carrying an EpiPen and plan to spend a couple days in the hospital. Understand? 
The two boys looked at one another and then back at Dylan. They both nodded vigorously. Well then, you'd best run to the school nurse and tell her that Mark needs help. Tell her that he got stung by a bee or something. No one will believe you if you tell her that he's allergic to prickly pears. No one is. And if you try to tell anyone about what I've done, just remember what any of us can do. Then he aimed his squirt gun at the two of them and fired off a few shots. Once again, they backed away as earnestly as if he had fired a real gun, and they ran off to the nurse's office, disappearing from view. Turning his back on Mark, Dylan started to walk into the school, leaving behind the small crowd that had gathered to watch Mark gasp for air. Dylan's friends followed. Is it true? asked Bobby. I mean, what you told them, is it true? Nodding, he replied. Yeah, mostly, anyway. Right now, all three of them are very allergic to prickly pears, just like I explained. From now on, you all need to remember to carry a water pistol with you to school, and you should use it if you need to defend yourself or any of the others. Let me know if you need a refill, or I can show you how to make the solution yourself. Then, what did you mean by mostly? Well, what I didn't tell them is that the severe allergic reaction is only temporary. You see... I found a substance that can greatly heighten a person's allergic response to any selected allergen. It was the sap of an orchid that my father grows in his greenhouse. However, my tests on mice revealed that the sensitivity only lasts for a short while. After a month or so, they should be no more allergic to prickly pears than the average person. He turned and winked at his friends. Just don't tell them that. If they think your squirt guns are life-threatening, they'll do almost anything to stay out of your way. Looking at his plastic water pistol, Bobby glanced at the others and asked, So what do we do now? Dylan shrugged. Go to class, play dumb if anyone asks you any questions, deny that you know anything, and be sure to protect one another with those water shooters. What are you going to do? Well, I plan to graduate high school early and then continue my efforts to find a cure for allergies. Right now, though... I'm just satisfied that I found a cure for bullies. Laughing together, they all entered the school building as the nurse and vice principal rushed out to tend to Mark. Thank you for listening. Now, you know we love our listeners, fans, and patrons. If you loved what you heard in this episode, please subscribe to the Untold Tales podcast and leave us a review on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, or the podcast player of your choice. Help encourage others to enjoy these wonderful stories by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson and other amazing authors and narrators. Again, thank you for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful day.